Amen. You may be seated. Good evening. Thank you, worship team. I'll tell you what, uh, it's going to be an awesome moment uh, when we see the God of the universe, isn't it? In the true sense of the word, um, it will be awesome. Uh, and, that, and that's a loaded word, and that's a loaded phrase. In fact, it ties in a little bit of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, so do me a favor. Uh, reach inside of your bulletin. I want to kind of do a little bit of coaching tonight. Uh, we're starting our series called Shocked, and uh, we're kind of coupling the series with our small groups. And so if you have never been in a small group, but you've been attending Coastal for a little while, and you want to get connected, and you want to grow with other people in your journey with Christ or your investigation of Christ, let me encourage you with this. It is vitally important that you're in a small group. And so uh, we've got them all out here. There'll be leaders after the service. I would really, really encourage you to find one. Uh, and join. Inside your bulletin, I've included a couple things. One is your notes, okay? And that's how you prepare for your small group. You listen to Pastor Sean ramble on for a little bit, okay? You take some notes, and as God speaks to you, and that will help you prepare when you meet with your small group. Second thing is we've included tonight a list of the questions uh, that most small group leaders will ask. Some will deviate a little bit and, and change it up a little bit, but for the most part, that's where your small group and the direction is going. And we put that in there so that if you've never done it before, you're like, what happens there? That's kind of a part of what happens, okay? There's some weekly reading. We encourage you to be in your Word each during the week, and, and you can see what the small group's going to cover to help you take what I talk about tonight and apply it to everyday life, okay? Does that make sense, everybody? Okay, so do me a favor. Uh, turn in your Bible if you have one. If you don't have one, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. We're going to jump around a little bit tonight. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 is going to be my starting point. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, there's probably one in a chair underneath somewhere in front of you and take that one with you. Okay, that's our gift to you. Uh, this week, I heard my wife say something that surprised me. It shocked me, actually. I never heard her say it before. Uh, my oldest son was doing what teenagers do, you know, giving a little input and feedback into family things. And, and uh, my wife was correcting him. And, and he said, but mom, all my friends are doing it. To which my wife, to my shock, responded, if all your friends were jumping off a bridge, <laughs> I just shook my head. I'm like, her parents are coming out of her mouth, right? And how many of you as parents, you say something and you're like, that's my mom talking. That's my, you know, I'm repeating. And I began to think about some of the things that I have repeated that I learned from my mother. Like, I learned my religion from my mother. When she would say things like, you better pray, that comes out of the carpet, right? And I repeat that to my children. I learned about time travel from my mother, right? My mother used to say, you better straighten up, or I'm going to knock you in the middle of next week, right? Any moms ever say that? I learned about time travel. I learned about logic. My mom was a very logical person. I'd ask her why. She'd say, because I said so. Logic, according to my mom, right? And irony. How many of y'all learned irony from your parents, right? If you don't stop crying, I'm going to give you something to cry about, right? I don't know if your parents ever say that. And osmosis. My mom told me about osmosis. Shut your mouth and eat. Some of you will get it later. All right. Um, and contortion, right? I learned about how to contort my body when my mom would say, would you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? You'll get that later, too. Anyway, um, I learned about family legacy when my mom said, stop acting like your father. And I learned about anticipation when my mother would say, you just wait till you get home. 
okay? And so I learn these things, and what happens is I say these things to my own children, right? And how many say things to your children, and then you're like, that's my parents coming out of my mouth. Why are we shocked by that? We shouldn't be shocked by that. You know why we shouldn't be shocked by that? Because our parents have a tremendous influence on us, even as you start graying a little bit. My daughter was kind enough this week to point out the grays on the side of my head. Dad, you got gray hair, right? But even as I'm graying, right, I, I, I hear my parents. Why? Because they influence us. And so this sermon series is birthed out of things that I don't want to shock you. In fact, there's times where I am shocked that as followers of Christ, we're shocked by these things. And so this evening, I want to challenge us with this concept that I run into people from time to time, especially at a funeral, right? And they're shocked by their mortality. We're shocked by the brevity of life. Now, I get the grief part, and I get that we grieve over the untimely passing of a loved one. I get that sometimes that shocks us, but as followers of Jesus, we should not be shocked by our mortality and by the brevity of life. And so from a biblical standpoint, I have to ask the question, why are we mortal? Why does this life end? And the first thing you have to know is that our mortality is caused by something. It's caused by sin. Our sin and our disobedience from a holy God is what causes our mortality. Now, I'm going to actually unpack this a little bit more next week, okay? Uh, but but in, and we're going to go all the way back to the first story of Genesis. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, and by the way, the reason I, I talked about when we sang that song, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the reason I used the word awesome is that if you stand before a holy God, a perfect God that demands perfection, and you stand there on your own account, separated from the righteousness of Jesus Christ, it will be an awesome moment for you. Quite terrifying, actually. Our only hope in front of a holy God, the word holy means to be separate, to be without sin, to be perfect. Our only hope is to stand there clothed in the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. Or it will be an awesome moment for you. And because our sin has earned us something. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, the wages of sin is what? What's it say? Say it with me. The wages of sin is what? Death, death right? The wages of sin is death. I, I, when I was uh, 16 years old, I got my first part-time job. And I came home from, I remember this clearly, I came home that day from my job, and my dad asked me a question. He said, son, what is your wage? It's like, it's not really a word we use anymore, right? But my father wanted to know how much I was making per hour, and I don't know what minimum wage was way back then, but it wasn't much, right? And that's what I was making, minimum wage. He was asking his son, what, when you give an hour of work, what does that hour of work earn you? The Bible says your sin has earned you something, your disobedience, your sin nature, your, your separateness, because you're a sinner from a holy God has earned you something. The Bible says it has earned you death. Now, there's a, there's a big but here, right? Big conjunction, some of y'all are laughing by that, all right? There's a big conjunction here, the word but, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But your sin has earned you something. And the Bible is very clear that the violation of the law of God has earned you mortality or death. Which, by the way, if you're having a really rough week, that may not sound all that bad, right? I mean, it's actually, there's, some, there's a good side to not going through this living eternally in this broken state of life we're in. And, and again, we're going to get to that a little bit today and more next week, okay? But the Bible talks about two kinds of death. 
The first kind of death is physical death. That's your mortality. Now, if this is news to you, you haven't been paying very close attention, okay? None of us gets out of this life alive, okay? Is that news to anybody? I, uh, I went to my doctor a couple weeks ago, and he was uh, pretty serious about my health, probably more serious than I was, and he started giving me this medication that's supposed to make me live longer, whatever, you know, I'm like, whatever, but I told him, I said, you know what, preacher, I, I said, no, doc, I said, you and I are kind of in the same business, we tell people the truth about things, right, like, I don't go to the doctor and want a feel-good story, uh, you'll be fine, no, I go to the doctor, why, because I want to know the truth about where I stand, and tonight is a little bit of that, this is not one of those attaboy sermons, this is the truth about where you stand, none of us gets out of this thing alive. There is no amount of surgeries, there's no amount of vitamins, there's no amount of exercise, there's no amount of, of, of pills that are going to keep you alive forever. The Bible's clear. Your sin has earned you something. In fact, you only live once, but did you know that you can die twice? Did you know that? The Bible refers to this time where we were stand before God. In fact, Jesus tells a story. He says, as... as uh, a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There will be a moment of reckoning where God will separate those who knew his son Christ and those who didn't. Some to eternal life and yes, some to eternal punishment. There is a second death that's called spiritual death. There is a spiritual death that awaits those who don't know God's son, Jesus Christ. And we should not be shocked by this. We should not be shocked of the position that we're in because of our sin. Now, I, church, I am not saying that when a loved one passes that we don't grieve. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, we do grieve, but as followers of Christ, we grieve differently. We grieve with those who have hope in the resurrection of God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so the question I have tonight, then, after realizing there's two deaths, there's a physical death, but there's a spiritual death, the question is, what happens next? What happens after this life? I mean, how do I avoid the second death, if you will? If there's no getting out of the first one, how do I avoid the second one? This past uh, Thursday night, I was uh, watching The Lion King with my daughter, and I just had one of those moments where it's like, man, I wish I could have just captured it and bottled it and taught you guys through this moment, but we were watching The Lion King, and, and Mufasa is walking with his son Simba, and he's explaining life to Simba. And, and Mufasa, in that great voice of James Earl Jones, right? And if I closed my eyes for a moment, I, I wasn't sure if I was listening to Mufasa or Darth Vader, right? And it was like, wow, you know, I mean, he could have just said, Simba, use the force, and I would have known, you know? And, and so it's just this great voice, and he... And, and everything he says, because the voice is so great, it must be true, right? And he's walking with Simba, and he's explaining life to Simba. And he's telling him, this is your kingdom, and everything the sun touches is your kingdom. And, and, it, and then Simba kind of says, well, if I'm king, I can do whatever I want, right? And, and Mufasa says, no, no, son, you need to learn to respect everything. You respect the small ant all the way to the antelope, to which Simba has a question. And the question is, Dad, if I'm respecting the antelope, then why do I eat the antelope, right? He goes, Dad, Dad, don't we eat the antelope? And Simba, I mean Mufasa in his great voice, says, Son, yes, we eat the antelope, but when we die, our bodies 
become the grass. And the antelope eat the grass. So you see, Simba, we are all connected in the great what? That is horrible theology. <laughs> We're all connected in the great circle of life, Simba. Now, I was willing, I was just going to let it pass. I was kind of not half paying attention because then, you know, the great, uh, the great song by Elton John comes on, a circle of life. I just start singing it out loud, you know. And my six-year-old daughter pauses, and she looks over at me, and she says, Daddy, that true? Now, I could preach a whole sermon here at church on parenting. Church, we, this, this whole other sermon is about how, church, we've got to equip our children to filter through the thoughts and the philosophies of the world and settle in on something that's true. And it scared me for a moment because I wasn't going to address it. I'm thinking it goes in one ear and out the other. And my six-year-old is paying close attention to the things being taught her. And she could have left that moment and thought, well, it's just a circle of life. I'm just going to die alive in the circle. It's great, great Hinduism, right? But what is and isn't true? And so I began to explain this next point that I'm going to explain to you to her. And began to explain what happens to someone after they die. Because if it was up to James Earl Jones, she would just think it's just a circle of life. Left to Mufasa. But the Bible says something quite different. The Bible says something quite different about what happens next if we're mortal. And there's two deaths. There's a physical death, but there's also a spiritual death. What happens next? Well, for the Christ follower, for someone who's given their heart and life to following after Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8 says, yes, we are fully confident. By the way, in your notes, circle that. The word confident there means to be courageous. If you're a follower of Christ, man, you can be courageous with your life because it has far more meaning and far, a totally different path than those, for those who don't know Christ. He says, we are fully confident and we should rather be, uh, and we would rather be away from these bodies for then we will be home with the Lord. I like the, actually some of our older versions of the Bible here says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no circle of life. There's a soul inside of you with which you must give an account and my daughter actually began to ask, us, what happens to my body here? I mean, so my body's like, no, honey, it's your soul. And, and we began to, I'll really bore you now, we began to talk about the intermediate state, and when Jesus returns, and when he returns, maybe we get this new body, you know. And by the way, my six-year-old understood this. She goes, so, so you mean we're going to see Opa again? I said, yeah, honey, he was a follower of Jesus. Man, we're going to see him again. We're going to have eternal life with Opa. She goes, man, that's great. She then she brought up my old dog, this miserable old mutt dog I used to have. She goes, we can see that dog again? I'm like, I hope not, but maybe. I don't know, you know. <laughs> that dog's going to follow me around for all eternity. Is that what that's about, you know? She, was, she understood the truth and the hope offered to us in Jesus Christ. That the grave does not have final say over those who follow Jesus Christ. But there's a whole different story for those who are not followers of Christ. Make no mistake about it. See, it's, it's the reason we do this church thing. It's the reason that we, we carve out significant time of our church service every week, and we open this book because we believe that the truth is inside this book. 
And we believe there's no other path to avoid the second death than to know Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight and you have not yet given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, one day you're going to stand before this holy, holy God of the universe, and you're going to give an account to why you ignored the most important story on planet Earth. You're going to give an account of why Jesus made no difference to you. Why you went around, went, more, uh, went forward chasing things that were not eternal. Things that were one day going to turn into dust. And why God's son made no difference to you. In fact, in Luke chapter 16, there's a great little story that Jesus tells. It's a parable, okay? So we're always, I'm always want to be, whenever I talk, you talk about a parable, you want to make sure you get the high-level principles and don't get down in the weeds of the details, okay? Is that clear? Okay, but in this parable, it's a story of a rich man. has everything you could ever want in life. And at the end of the story, he dies, and there was a man that was basically ate from the crumbs of his table, a guy by the name of Lazarus. Both the rich man and Lazarus die. And in this story, the rich man's not a follower of Christ. He ends up in a place called hell, a place of torment. And he, he sees this chasm. He sees Lazarus. And he sees Abraham. And he says, listen, if you, could just, if you could just tell Lazarus just to dip his finger into some water, cool my tongue because I'm just tormented here. In the second death. And in, in Luke chapter 16, it says this, verse 26, it says, Abraham says, and besides, there's a great chasm that's separating us. Basically, he says, I can't, I can't do that. There's a great chasm separating us. Anyone who wanted to cross over to you from here is stopped at its edge, and no one can cross over to us. Now, I don't want to dive into the details because I haven't been there, and I don't know all the details. But from a high-level perspective, there are two separate places for every soul. Best I understand the scriptures. Some do eternal life. And some do eternal punishment. By the way, there are some indications that this place called hell is not just a separation from the goodness of God, but a place of the wrath of God being poured out. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor Henry, are you telling me that a good and loving God is going to send people to hell? Now, let me answer that twofold. First of all, I ain't telling you anything. All right. I've tried to tell you guys this before. I am the dumbest pastor on planet Earth. All right. Don't trust anything I say. It's as best as I understand this book. It's as best as I understand Luke chapter 16 and the teachings of Jesus. As best as I understand it, there is a second death. A spiritual separation from the God of the universe. Some do eternal life and some do eternal punishment. And there is no place in Scripture that encourages us to think about a second opportunity to get your life right with Jesus Christ. No place. There's no place in Scripture that talks about the circle of life and second opportunities. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this. And just as it is des destined that each person dies... Only once. And after that comes judgment. Church, the scripture couldn't be any clearer about the state of our soul and where we go after we die. The details 
we can fuss about over a cup of coffee. But the specifics are we will stand before God and we will give an account of our life. And church, only a very foolish person would not consider their future. Only a fool would not consider, man, what happens next? My six-year-old thought it important enough to ask me. Yet many of us, we will leave here tonight. Many of you have plans for what you're going to do immediately following this service. You have no plan for your eternity. Haven't considered it. Church, your days are numbered. We shouldn't be shocked that we're mortal. Nobody in this room has promised another moment. Nobody in this room has promised another hour, another day, another week, another month, another year. And only a very foolish person would not consider, what am I going to do before I stand, when I stand before the God of the universe? And I want to be clear here tonight, okay? because I know I've heavied on you. I feel, I feel the weight, and that's okay. I want you to feel the weight to consider your mortality. But this is not a scare tactic. Make no mistake about it. It's not a scare tactic. It's the reality of our situation. And only a very foolish person wouldn't consider the state of their soul. The reason I'm preaching this sermon tonight is I don't want you to be shocked when you stand before the God of the universe. Psalm chapter 90 verse 10 says this, 70 years are given to us. Some may even reach 80, but even the best of these years are filled with pain and trouble and soon they disappear. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is what? There's a word. What is it? Let's do it again. Ready? Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is what? By the way, the word awesome in Scripture is usually connected to the holiness, power, and wrath of God. Usually. Your wrath is awesome as the fear you deserve. Ready? Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. In other words, God, help us to count our days. The psalm saying there is wisdom in counting your days. There is wisdom in understanding the brevity of life. Psalm chapter 39 verse 4 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. Did you know that in your lifetime, you will take approximately 672 million breaths? In your lifetime, you will take approximately 672 million breaths breaths. Psalmist here in Psalm 39 says, here's what your life is like. Out of those 672 million breaths, your life is like this. Some of y'all are wondering how long I'm going to hold my breath. <clears throat> the Bible says your, your lifespan is like that. Let me ask you a few questions. When you, can, when you put your life in perspective, perspective to all eternity, does it give you pause? 
to give you a moment of reflection, that, that's what I hope to do here tonight, to give you a moment of reflection, say, man, what, what's really important? Oddly enough, for me, when I go to a funeral and I leave a funeral, I always leave a funeral kind of with life kind of oddly put in its proper place. Does that ever happen to you? I mean, it makes me count my days. It makes me wonder about my tone of voice with other people. It makes me wonder about that grudge I've been holding on to. Is it really worth not letting that person off the hook? Makes me wonder about my parenting. Makes me wonder about my use of money. Makes me wonder about me and how I'm treating my spouse. Makes me wonder about the importance of spiritual and eternal things. Makes me wonder if God's got the proper place in my heart. Makes me wonder how seriously I'm taking serving His church. The Bible says it's brief. And a wise person counts the brevity of those days. So let me give you some good news tonight. The good news is this. Our hope is in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Our hope is in God's Son, Jesus Christ. I, a couple weeks ago, I kind of parked you for a little while in the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 11. And I gave you... Um, I gave you a homework assignment. If you didn't take me up on that homework assignment, I'm going to give you another opportunity and read the story of Lazarus. I, I just love that story. There's just so many great spiritual principles to pull out of John chapter 11 and the story of Lazarus. And if you remember, I gave you the nutshell of the story, right, where Jesus finds out his friend is sick and he's in another town. Lazarus is sick. And, and so Jesus waits a couple days for Lazarus to pass. And and when he finally shows up, Jesus' friends are wondering why they took so long. Now, listen, now I can never do this discreetly, okay? The band is coming up, okay? They're going to sing a song in a minute, all right? But I want everybody to focus on me, okay? Everybody look at me. It's important stuff. And so Lazarus dies, and Jesus shows up, and all the family of Lazarus is frustrated that Jesus took so long. And, of course, Jesus is going to do one of his great miracles, and bring Lazarus back to life. And you know that part of the story. But in John chapter 11, Martha is frustrated that Jesus took so long. And Jesus said this in John chapter 11, verse 25. He said, I am the resurrection and I'm the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Insert your name. Insert your name. Do you believe this, Sean? Do you believe this, Adam? Do you believe this, Mary? Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Eric? Do you believe this? 
Jesus, on this little adventure to Lazarus' house, took his 12 disciples. History tells us, after Jesus ascended in heaven, that these disciples were told to denounce this story of a resurrected guy by the name of Jesus. And they were so sure of the power of Jesus to overcome the grave that all of these men were willing to suffer brutal deaths for this story. In other words, the disciples said, we're taking the truth of this story to the grave. And if you've got to kill us for it, so be it. But we believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. You know how we know? Easter Sunday. We saw him get crucified, and the grave couldn't hold him. And uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, he's the first fruits of a great resurrection when he returns. That all followers of Christ, even though they are absent from the body, they will be immediately present with the Lord. We're awaiting that day when we will get a glorified body, a new body upon the return of Jesus Christ. And church, I don't know what you're going through today, and I don't, but one thing I know is this life is temporary. And I don't want you to leave here and be shocked by our mortality tonight. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have an amazing future to look forward to. The grave does not have final say over those of you who call Jesus Christ their Lord. Romans 6.23 We have a future that Jesus calls eternal life. And this song speaks to that truth.
1800s, there was an evangelist by the name of D.L. Moody. Uh, he founded the college where I went to school about 100 years ago. D.L. Moody said this. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I, I shall have gone up higher. That is all out of this old clay. This old clay tenant into a house that is immortal. A body that death cannot touch and sin cannot taint. A body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born in the flesh in 1837, but I was born in the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die, but that which is born of the Spirit will live forever. Jesus in John chapter 3 said, you must be born again. The born again is a spiritual rebirth. It's a bowed knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in so doing... Bible teaches we get a deposit of the third person of the Trinity, the spirit of life. That spirit implanted in your heart by grace through faith as a gift of God will bring eternal life. Church, mortality should no longer be a shock to us. Mortality is nothing to fear. But rather, by grace through faith in Christ, we have the freedom to live radically for the fame of Jesus Christ and for eternal things. Let's close with prayer. Tell you what, with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, and if you're here tonight and you have not yet bowed a knee in your heart to Christ, do not be fooled. There are second chances, there's a circle of life, and maybe this night God is giving you an opportunity to die to yourself, your wants, your desires, your sin, your flesh, and bow a knee to the Lordship of Christ. That's why we do this thing called church. The grave could not hold our Savior Jesus Christ. That's what Easter Sunday is all about. He paid a debt he didn't know. He paid a debt of your sin on the cross. And the penalty of sin, the wage of sin, was paid for by him. And the victory is his. Because the grave could not hold him. I would encourage you tonight to do business with God. Give your heart to him. If you've never done that before, I'm going to pray a simple prayer. But if there's nothing simple about it, nothing magical about it, maybe tonight is the night. That your eternity is taken care of by God's Son, Jesus Christ. If that's where you are, I'd encourage you to pray this prayer in your heart with me. Heavenly Father, I've been doing things my own way. And I realize tonight by the brief glance into your word, God, that one day I'm going to stand before the holy, awesome God of the universe. And I'm going to stand there in my own accord, in my sin and my selfishness. So as best I understand it tonight, I, I turn from that life, 
and I give my heart and my life to Jesus Christ. As best I understand the promises of your word, by grace through faith, I have inherited eternal life. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.